Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our One Tribe online gathering. I want to add my welcome to the welcome that you've already received. It's my privilege to be taking us through God's word this morning. I'm going to pray for us, then we're going to dive straight into Daniel chapter 5. God, I thank you for everyone who's able to tune in to this message. I ask that you would speak to us, whether we are feeling far from you or close to you, whether we've been following you for years, or whether we're not even sure whether we would call ourselves Christ followers. I ask that you'd give us truth and wisdom from your word that is practical and that is also powerful. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, we're in Daniel chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse 1. It says, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. Now, you may already have a whole load of questions, starting with who is Belshazzar? Last time we were in Daniel chapter 4 and we were looking at uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and he was the king in Babylon. What's going on? Let me catch you up as quickly as we can. What's happened between Daniel chapter 4 and where we are today, Daniel chapter 5, is 20 years have elapsed. Just over 20 years, actually. And during that time, a whole lot of stuff has happened with the throne, with Babylon, and with a neighboring nation called Persia. First of all, what's happened with the throne, King Nebuchadnezzar, died about 20 years ago before today's story. And uh, the throne has changed hands four times through a fascinating array of conspiracies and coups and assassinations. And the king right now is a guy called Nabonidus. Nabonidus isn't in Babylon. He's actually 500 miles away. Long story. He's there for the last 10 years of his reign and his eldest son, Belshazzar, not necessarily a biological descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, is the man on the throne. So that catches you up to where we are today, except for a geopolitical situation you need to know about. There's a nation called Persia, an emerging superpower that has marched on Babylon and actually has Babylon surrounded. Babylon was a massive city and uh, the Persian army are literally knocking on the doors. Now, when you are under siege, which is where Babylon is at this point in time, there's three things you want. You want protection, you want water, you want food. And at this point, Babylon is still feeling pretty secure because in terms of protection, it has these massive, impressive walls that are famous to this day, protecting the city. When it comes to water, the Euphrates River ran from north to south right through the middle of Babylon. And so they had plenty of water. And not just that, but history books tell us that Babylon at this point in time had a 20-year supply of food within its walls. They were pretty well prepared for lockdown and they're feeling pretty secure at this point in time. That's where we pick up the rest of our story. Daniel 5 verse 2 Belshazzar called a party while Belshazzar was drinking his wine. He gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. We read about that in Daniel chapter 1. So that his kings and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king 
and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. They're having a great time. What's happened is an enemy nation, and in their mind, an enemy nation with enemy gods is marching against Babylon. And this night, they've decided to remind themselves of how their nation and their gods had conquered another nation and the god of that nation in Jerusalem. How do you know you've conquered him? Well, for starters, you're drinking wine out of gold and silver goblets from their temple. This is a celebration in their minds of a victory over the God of Israel. Fun fact, in 539 BC, which is when this story happened, if you wanted to count the casualties after you had conquered another enemy nation in battle, what you would do is you would walk across the battlefield once the battle was over and you would cut the right hand of every dead enemy soldier. And as you counted those right hands, you'd have an idea of the casualties you had inflicted during that victory. Here's where it gets interesting. Daniel 5.5 says, Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. Can you imagine that? A disembodied hand, which should speak of a defeated enemy, is now up and writing on the wall, and it's got a message to deliver. And the first bit of this message is unwritten, it's unspoken. It's saying the God who you thought was dead might not be so dead. God's not dead. And not just that, he wants to speak to you, Belshazzar. One commentary says the effect might be similar if the head of a decapitated victim began to speak. The one you thought was dead has a message for you. Look what happens to Belshazzar. It is pretty graphic. Daniel 5, 6, his face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. Either he collapses to the floor, he's just so weak, or some commentators would say that that phrase, his legs gave way, is actually a nice way of saying he lost control of his bladder and his bowels. Either way, it's clear at this point in time that the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, has Belshazzar's attention. I was talking to one of the band leaders in our church. His name is Steve Ross. And we were chatting on the phone a few uh, days ago. And he said, you know what? Right now, at this point in time, God has the attention of the whole world. You see, God knows how to get our attention when he needs to. We see, him in, we see him doing it in the stories of the Bible. In Egypt, what happened is he wanted to get the, the attention of someone called Pharaoh. And so it took 10 plagues to get Pharaoh's attention. We saw a couple of chapters ago when Nebuchadnezzar is uh, uh, defying the God of, of Israel. And what happens is God wants to get his attention and he sends a dream to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. And we see it here. He gets Belshazzar's attention. And friends, let's call this our first pandemic survival tool for today. One of the best things that we can do in this season, what Belshazzar should have done a long time ago, is at this point, we need to log in to God. 
during all that's happening around us, one of the best things that we can do is log in to God and listen to what he might want to say to us. Maybe a loving God wants to say something to us about ourselves, about our pride, about our families, our marriages, our, our relationships, our work. And we need to log in and listen to him. I know that different ones of us listening will be at different places in our spiritual journey. And maybe you're not sure if you'd call yourself a Jesus follower. Maybe you're feeling a long way from God or a long way from obedience to God. And if that's you, I love what uh, one preacher used to say. He said this, he wrote it, his name is Michael Eaton actually. He said, if when you are a long way from obedience to God, if you're a long way from obedience to God and he does something that knocks aside your foolish complacency and makes you desperately want to know what he is saying, count it a great act of mercy of God in your life. That's you. It may be strange to talk about logging into God like he's some sort of Bible app. What, what do you do practically? Well, there, there are a number of things that you can do, but, but one thing you can do is log into this online experience weekly. And what this is, is it's a gathering of people and we are trying to listen to God together and, and hear God's voice on a weekly basis. And we'd love you to join us on this journey. Or maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time and if that's you, man, we, we need to log on, log in to God's presence, log in to God's voice. Different ways you can do that. We'll be seeing in the coming weeks how Daniel was a man of prayer, praying three times a day. We can log into God through prayer. We can log into God through his word. And as a church, we are immersing ourselves in his word by, by diving deeply into the book of Daniel. On Sundays, online, but not just that, during the week, we're working through daily readings to help us immerse ourselves, logging in to the loving God of the Bible. And the third way that you can log in if you're a Christ follower is you can log into community with other Christ followers. And all through the week, we have life groups happening where, again, believers are getting together and saying, hey, let's log into God and let's help one another to log in to the God who loves us. Let's keep on reading. Daniel 5, verse 7. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Couldn't be first because the Bonadus is still alive. Couldn't be second because that's what Belshazzar was. But third was about as good as he could offer. Then all the king's men came in. Now, we, we met these guys in Daniel 1 and Daniel 2 and Daniel 3 and Daniel 4. And if you've been tracking the story with us, you, you probably don't have very high expectations of this bunch of clowns. So surprise, surprise, they couldn't read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, technically it's probably more likely the queen mother, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. O king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man, Daniel, she uses his Hebrew name, 
whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you, Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? Now, I don't want you to miss the despising and the disrespecting that is going on right here and right now. Daniel is a distinguished civil servant, former prime minister of Babylon. But Belshazzar writes him off as, you're just an exile who my, my father Nebuchadnezzar, he brought from Jerusalem after ransacking your temple. He brought you here in your youth and he brought you into civil service in Babylon. Some people say in that process, Daniel and his friends would have been castrated. Don't know that for a fact, but it's very, very possible. Not just that, we do know for a fact that his name would have been changed. And Belshazzar just wants to remind him of that before going on. I've heard, verse 14, that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and the enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means. They couldn't explain it. Now I've heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. What's going on here is... Ironic is the best, best word for it. You see, what's happened is Belshazzar, Belshazzar has just been dis despising and disrespecting Daniel and despising and disrespecting Daniel's God by drinking from the temple articles. And even though he's the man with great power and bravado, the only person right now who can help him is this despised and disrespected Jew. This Jew that he has despised and disrespected, the only one who can help him. We might be in a more similar place to Belshazzar than we realize. Because we too are in a situ situation where the only one who can help us is a despised and disrespected Jew, a Jew who you and I have despised and disrespected. And his name isn't Daniel. He's actually the true and greater Daniel, and his name is Jesus. And the Bible says that this one who is despised and disrespected by our world is the only one who can save us. Check it out in 1 Corinthians. Let's go to chapter 1 and verse 18. According to the Bible, there are only two categories of people on planet Earth. For the message of the cross, 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Every human being who can hear the sound of my voice is either perishing or being saved. What's the difference between the two? How do you get from perishing to being saved? The difference is the message of the cross. I know that's unimpressive by today's world standards, but that's a problem that the Bible has been facing and the cross has been facing and the message of the cross has been facing for 2,000 years. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 22, a few verses down, we can see that the Jews weren't impressed either by this message of a cross. The Jews, the Bible says, demand miraculous signs. And Greeks 
look for wisdom. To quote one commentator, Jews want strength, Greeks want style. Jews want power, Greeks liked the packaging. Jews were focused on force, Greeks were focused on finesse. And in their eyes, the cross didn't provide either of those. A carpenter's son nailed to a wooden cross by Romans. Paul carries on, but we preached Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and Christ is the wisdom of God. This is divine foolishness in the face of our desperation. Friends, we aren't so different from Belshazzar. A despised and disrespected Jew is our only hope. And so pandemic survival tool number two for today is don't get wise, get foolish. Yep, you heard it on, on Tribe Online. Don't get wise in this time get foolish. But before you reach for the nearest stone to stone me, hear me out. I love the story of a man who he's walking down the street. He sees a guy wearing a sandwich board. It's one of those, a board in front, a board behind. And uh, as he's walking towards this man, the first man sees that the second man's sandwich board, on the front it's written, I'm a fool for Christ. And the first man, he walks past him thinking, well, that's about the dumbest thing that I've ever seen. And he turns his head to have another look at this guy. And uh, as he walks past him and turns his head, he sees on the back it's written, Whose fool are you? A great question in these times that we're in. As we face personal, societal, and global, global complexities, we need to remember that we can't, this is important, we can't solve a problem at the same level of thinking that we were at when we created that problem. You can't solve a problem at the same level of thinking you're at when you created that problem. If the, if the situation that we're in came about at a certain level of thinking, it's called that the world's wisdom. To solve it may need a whole nother level of thinking. It might need the foolishness of God. In fact, insanity has been popularly described as being as doing the same thing over and over again and hoping to get a different result. Friends, if we want different results, we might need to reach beyond what the Bible calls the wisdom of the sage and into the foolishness of God, into the message of the cross, into this person who is Jesus, who died on that cross for my sins and your sins. And it's about believing the message of the cross, believing that he is who he says he is, which is God himself. And he came to rescue you and I, and we can build our lives on who he is, on what he's done on our behalf, and not just that, on the teachings he gives us to live the lives that we are called to live. We need to reach beyond the wisdom of the sage into the foolishness of God. Let me give you just one example, and then um, we're going to move on in our story. About the wisdom of the sage, one example of the wisdom of this age nowadays is um, people like to say, uh, it's, it's, it's my body, my choice. I saw this on Twitter, apparently from a person called Herschel York. They said this, this pandemic has exposed the hollow self-centeredness of my body, my choice. What you do with your body 
has multiple social and moral effects that go far beyond you and affect the value of life itself. Wisdom of this age, my body, my choice. Pandemic has revealed that as rubbish. But the foolishness of scripture has been saying for years, our bodies not our own, they've been bought with a price. You have a creator, I have a creator. And we're wise to look to him to find out how do we handle our bodies in a way that shows honor to him and love for those around us. Daniel 5, 17, then Daniel answered the king, keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. O king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. And uh, because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. And this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. Three words, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. And those three words were from the language of business where they didn't have cash registers in those days, but they had scales. And these scales were um, to do with the, the weighing different bits of goods. And these words, mene, teke, parson, were from that language of weighing. And if you played around with those words a bit, they also became powerful verbs relevant to Belshazzar. Mene, Daniel says to him, means that God, as he's weighed you, he has numbered the days of your reign and brought them to an end. He spoke about that in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. There will be an after you, Belshazzar. The second one, tekel, comes from the word for, uh, for shekel. And again, it speaks of weighing, but it says that you've been weighed and found wanting. Michael Eaton says that Belshazzar's attitude to life in God's scales had been found too light and too flippant. And because of that, parson, and that comes from, uh, 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 Perez was, uh, spoke of a weight that was half of a mene, the first one, it had been divided, broken in two, and Daniel said, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and to the Persians. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. You know what happened? Verse 29 says that Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed, in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. I mentioned that the Persian army had surrounded uh, Babylon, 
and the Babylon felt secure because there are high walls and the river going through supplying water and they had a 20-year supply of food. Well, history tells us that that very night in October 539 BC, the cunning Persian army diverted the Euphrates from where it ran into the city north of the, of the uh, city and they diverted it to a nearby lake with a canal and that lowered the levels of the Euphrates River to thigh level so that commando style the Persians that very night could break into the city of Babylon and take it with hardly any resistance at all. Verse 30, that very night Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. I'm going to pray for us, then we're going to get into our discussion groups. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to learn to log into you in this season. Through gatherings like this online or during the week, through prayer, through your word, through community with one another. You've got our attention, but God, we want to go beyond that. Help us to hear your voice. And God, we ask that somehow you teach us about uh, reaching beyond the wisdom of this age into the foolishness of God. Help us to understand the message of the cross. Jesus dying for our sins, taking the punishment we deserved. Living the life we should have lived to empower us to live a whole new kind of life, the kind of life you made us to live. And so God, as we go into this discussion time, we pray that you'd speak to us as we log in to you and you'd give us your wisdom, greater than the wisdom of this world. And everyone said, Amen.